Carol Baskins, is laughing. She's laughing. So we got a hot spot with the laughter. And then she says, what? Yeah, I fed him to the tigers. <laughs> she said, what? I fed him to the tigers. More Wiser Podcast. Janine Driver, body language expert. I'm curious, do you remember the moment where you went, oh my God, I'm really good at this. I can read everybody around me. Was there a moment that it kind of clicked for you? One of my mentors is J.J. Uh, Newberry. He's my like main mentor that taught me everything I know about reading body language and detecting deception. He is called a truth wizard. So J.J. can detect deception at more than 85% accuracy. It's really sad now because he has dementia. But uh, the reason I, I say that is um, I learned so much from him. And people would always ask him, did anyone ever get away with lies? And he said, I don't know. So I think to answer your question, Joe, it's, you know, sometimes I think, you know, people get away with it. You know, I had a woman that was my, managing my business and she embezzled over 60 grand from me. Oh my God. And I think I mentioned it in one of my TED Talks briefly and, and my friends and, and coworkers in my industry advised me not to say that. They're like, you're a human lie detector. You go on all these TV shows and you were embezzled, you know, over 65,000 actually. And that she admitted to like, it was like 66 total or something. She admitted to that. So it's probably three times that amount. Most people embezzle, it's usually three times more than the number that they, they think. But the reason I share that story with you is the people that are listening to your podcast right now, I train the CIA and the FBI and the Scotland Yard Police and I got bamboozled. So if you've been manipulated by a loved one, by an employee that's worked for you for years, like one one of my one of my clients is a dentist and his secretary, who has been his secretary for over 30 years, did something without him knowing. And he got a letter in the mail that said, Congratulations, your loan is paid in full. And he's like, What oh. loan? She bought a house, forged his name on this loan forged his name for this private loan to then get the money to buy the house. And she paid everything on time, but he had no idea that he was a co-signer. And so he felt really bad, right? He's like, how do I not know this? Like, I know her family. We worked together for 30 years and you feel this massive betrayal. The money is the least of the issues. And so I shared it briefly in a talk. And the reason is if you've been bamboozled, if you've, someone's manipulated you, and I teach how to separate fact from fiction, give yourself a break. For me, I, I had three miscarriages. My mom was dying of breast cancer. She's now since passed. Uh, you know, the time I needed her the most is when she betrayed me. Dane Cook, I write about this in one of my books, Dane Cook's own brother embezzled millions of dollars from him. In Maine, the brother, Dane Cook, the comedian, actor guy, but he, his brother had like $800,000 in cash in drywall in his, uh, in his, in his apartment or townhouse in Maine. So... You know, we got to give ourselves a break. I do this for a living and I still get fooled every now and then. One time in a class, someone wrote, they, we do this two truths and a lie. And the person got away with it. I couldn't tell. I didn't know which one was the lie. Really? And one of my books is You Can't Lie to Me. So I wrote to her inside the book, hey, Lena, you can lie to me. So, <laughs> okay. Or whatever her name was. I forget her sure. name. <laughs> so, so I don't think I thought that I was necessarily good at it. I think that I love it. I love being able to, and by the way, some people think about body language that they don't like it, right? They're like, it's mind reading, not my way, right? My way is it teaches you that we are to ask the right questions. It's just indicator of what we call hot spots. And then this is where I'm going to ask a strategic question. And um, there's something called SUE, S-U-E, strategic use of evidence. 
you know, so uh, when are you presenting your evidence? So as you were talking through those, you know, loved ones and deception, are they able to fly under the radar because we actively are, are choosing to not take in those um, body language indicators that you talk about? Joe, you're smart because there's a study on this. And yes, indeed. So people, I sounded so official right there. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I sounded so academic. That's so not like yes. me. I don't know. It's just because I woke up like 30 minutes ago. I'm like, this is like the, the, the PG-13 Janine, I guess. But um, so, but yes, studies have shown when it's someone we love and we care about, we actually give them the benefit of the doubt. And so we will be bamboo. Like it's so not their character, you know, with confirmation theory, right? This confirmation bias. If I think that guys always cheat on me, I'm going to look for guys who always cheat on me, right? I'm going to look for those types of tells. If you know this person has integrity, they have, they are respectful, they are kind, you know, how, this is why first impressions are critical. When you show up late, which I'm late all the time. So uh, if, if you show up late, that hurts your first impression uh, for most people, not me. I always say like, let's give a window. Like let's get together between 10 and 1030. By the way, sidebar, ADD, I call it a branch branch. People who are late in your life, give them a break because the people who are late in your life do not choose to be late. We think we can control the clock. So I think I can log on to this internet within, you know, within four minutes when I know I got to go find Chrome because the system you're using doesn't use Safari. And like, I didn't know that. So, you, right. you, you know, I'm I, sorry. It's all right. No, it's all right. My, my thing is I'm late all the time. So people who are late seize opportunities. These are the people who are so impulsive. And we never are late on time, on per, uh, late on purpose. We think we can control the clock. And there's a system in place. Like for me, when I'm doing like a keynote and the stage is there, you know, then you know, I make sure I'm in the room an hour before. And usually that means 20 minutes before. I, I try for an hour. But when you say first impressions, the, you know, as I watched your talk, I thought, you know, I, uh, well, first of all, I'm rarely, probably rarely running into murderers, although I'm, I'm sure statistically I am. Um, but I, the, the other place, body language, I think most of us come to the front of our minds is interviews and dating. And when you said first impressions, I thought both of those, the, the first impression is crucial. And so I'm wondering, you know, before we get into murderers and I want to know about Carol Baskins and we, we, we got to talk Chris Watts too, but, um, you know, say you walk into a date, right? What's the most approachable body language a person can have or an interview? And should they be the same? Hmm, a date? Well, for me, my best advice would be don't even worry about your body language is, is worry about what your thoughts are. You know, what are what's your intention? You know, for me, um, I check in with how I'm feeling. You know, I'm I struggle with weight, I go up and down in weight. And so when I'm on the heavier side, my mom would call it my stinking thinking. It's, I, I could come out steepling fingertips to fingertips and look really confident in a job interview. But if my stinking thinking is, you know, this, I'm way underqualified for this job, my shoulders are going to be up too high. My tone and pitch are going to be too high. When we're in a room feeling with, with, we're with someone who is more important than us, more powerful than us, our tone goes up. Um, we want a low tone, even in a date. You know, I think a lot of women, when we're nervous, will go into a day, hi, Joe, it's so nice to meet you. Well, that's because they've got too much, too much riding on it, right? If you can like back it up, you know, I, 
I'm divorced now, but I was with my husband for 20 years and I did this game. I called it 48 dates. I said, I'm going to go on two dates a month for two years and just have fun, dress up nice, smell good, put on some makeup, curl my hair. And he was 24. I went to 26, but that's a, that's another podcast. What I slid past the base. I slid <laughs> okay. past the base. But uh, and we we're divorced now, but we get along great. And I think what led me to meet him is I took the stress off of this is the one. You know, when we come in with the intention that this is the one, your body language, your tone, your pitch, you fall apart. You're you're, you're not your normal you. So for me, I I give. My rule of thumb is I give, even if the date's a bust, unless the guy is like, I feel like he's a narcissist but or toxic. And I'll t- if you want, we can talk about this toxic triangle. But but what I say is three times, because by the third date, hopefully you, the real you shows up. I would say the first two dates, the real guy, the real person hasn't shown up. So, But body language wise, if you just set your intention that like for me, when I did when I did 48 dates to, and I would go out with like, one guy, Joe, he <laughs> he took me out to brunch, which I guess is the big trend now. Right. But he took me out to brunch. And he brought a deck of cards with him and he went table to table doing card tricks to the elderly people that were having brunch around our tables. And I think Janine, who was looking for maybe the the one, quote unquote, would have been pissed. I would have badmouthed that guy. But instead, because my intention was just to have fun and meet 48 people, he was like number nine or something. I had the best date of my life. I went home. I called my sisters. I go, I had the funnest date. I was able to step back and look at all the joy he was bringing to those other people. And it was fat. I mean, he wasn't for me, but it was such a creative, odd date. I didn't have to. So I think body language naturally happens. I think, think of a tree. The roots of the tree are your intention. So what you believe will automatically impact your body language. You don't have to memorize, you know, Joe Navarro, retired FBI agent, friend of mine, his book, Body Language Book. It's it's amazing, by the way. It's a body language dictionary book he put together. And I, I love it. And I'm a body language expert. I go to the book and I'm like, hey, they did this and this, this combo. I wonder what Joe has to say about this. You don't have to memorize that stuff. If you just say, what is my intention? You know, who do I want to be? Who am I? And focus on you. Your body language will naturally follow suit. With that being said, of course, no crossed arms. Be careful of reading crossed arms on other people. Crossed arms indicates, you know, most people think bored, disinterested, defensive. That's not true. It could be those things. But crossed arms uses both sides of your brain, your right brain, which is intuitive, and your left brain that is thoughts and figures. So when someone crosses their arms on a date for me, I'm like, well, this guy's not leaving anytime soon. Research shows you're 30% more likely to stay on a task, 30% more likely. Whether it's a job interview, a date, a landscaping, if you see someone with crossed arms, they're increasing their determination. In my world, there's something I talk about in one of my TED Talks, movement pattern analysis. We move in a pattern that can be analyzed. I call it your behavioral fingerprint. I have to be very determined. If people were to see me, they would see as I'm talking to you, Joe, and you at home, I'm a bouncer. When I talk, (laughs) my body bounces. All my TED Talks. If yes. you go to comments, everyone's like, wow, she's intense. Um, that comes from my determining. That's part of my behavioral fingerprint, right? This increase in pressure, we call it. So I'm naturally that way. If you're the kind of person that gets kind of pushed around a little bit, you can physically stand your ground. Your mother calls you or mother-in-law 
can you watch my cats while I'm traveling? Can you? And you're, she lives an hour and a half away from you. And she wants you to go back and forth and feed the cats, you know, right. and you always get roped in. Meanwhile, you're the daughter-in-law and she's got six kids, but you're the sucker that keeps getting called in. Right. You can literally, when the call comes in, physically get off the seat and stand your ground. So if you know you get pushed around by someone personally or professionally and you see their number, you don't have to ignore them. You can literally <laughs> take the call and physically stand your ground. And if that's not working, stand and then push against a wall or a chair. It taps into your part of the brain that's connected with determining, persisting against a difficult odds. When the going gets tough, you get tougher, standing your ground. So don't cross your arms. Be careful of reading people wrong when they cross their arms. I like it. I would ask a question, you know, uh, maybe. Can I, can I ask something? Yeah. So I think of crossing their arms and I think of the the creepy dude in the club who's not dancing, who's got his arms crossed. And so over determination maybe is what's happening and sending off the wrong vibe. Yeah, but that sends a bad vibe, right? That sends a bad vibe, right? But it, but you're saying it's not necessarily always bad, but uh, and also, you know, your body language kind of feeds into your thinking, so you have to ch- you have to change that. First of all, assess what's working and what isn't. So clearly, card tricks maybe not working for that individual, but <laughs> not but, for me. Well, listen, if when you if I can interrupt you really quick, I want to yeah. say. It, at a date or even a job interview, you should sit 30% off center. So never directly sit opposite someone. This is a fighting pose, right? So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about so it? No right? Booth. This is So, well, I like a booth, but I go, I'll scoot in or I scoot out. I want to be 30% off center, okay. not a little mini booth. If they do those little teeny ones, like you feel like you're about to go on a gondola at an amusement park <laughs> yeah. and it's like a two seater, like, no, because now you're directly opposite. I would never, I'd rather have a four top, a table. Okay. Then those little teeny boots, you're creating more stress and anxiety for each person. In my in my corporate keynotes, I have people sit at a diagonal and then sit directly opposite to feel the difference in the energy. You want to set yourself up for success. I, I will say on dating, I, I'd like to think I'm a good dater. I've been doing a lot of it recently. But I like to say my motto is um, be interested instead of interesting. I'm a talker. So this atmosphere, you and I, you know, I'm going to talk. But in general, I stop myself and I say, if I notice his body language is getting fidgety, we have pacifiers. Pacifiers, uh, anytime a piece of our body touches another piece. So if I held my wrist and I said, who's on the phone? If I hold my upper arm with my other hand, who's on the phone? My throat. You at home, try it. So Joe, try it with me. So touch right, your wrist yeah. and say, who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Now, now your upper arm, say, who's on the phone? Yeah, I can feel like uh, this and is like escalating. Throat. Yeah. Oh boy. Throat. Yeah. Say who's on the phone now? Yeah. Your forehead. Touch your forehead. Yeah, this is like something Touch your going wrong. Yeah. Who's on the phone? Yeah. Who stresses you out the most when this one, right? Oh the yeah. The hand on the forehead. The, at work, this one. This, I'm usually leaning on the hand. Yeah. So I say the the higher the hold, more anxiety is told. So if you're on a date and you see these high pacifiers, a pacifier comforts us, like a baby uses a pacifier comfort right. us. When you pacify, it's also called the manipulator. Dr. Paul Ekman calls them manipulators. Joe Navarro, retired FBI agent, calls them pacifiers. I call them self-touch gestures. They're all the same. Then I would stop and say, am I talking too much? Be interested, not interesting. All of a sudden, I thought the beginning of the date went great. And now I'm seeing all these face touches, hair touches, throat touches. I stop and I immediately, I do it like I do a 360 and I just, 
or 180, 180, but 360. Sometimes I stop sure. talking and start talking right away. Yep. I do. You know, I, I, I stop right there. I do a hairpin turn and become interested. This guy, uh, he was a big executive at NBC Universal. His name's Lee Strauss. He's no longer there. He's a lawyer. And now he's a friend. But he saw one of my talks I gave for a woman named Mika Brzezinski, who does a, a women's event called Know Your Value. And he was in the audience. And afterwards, he started talking to me. And we ended up staying in the same hotel. We didn't hook up. He's gay. So we, and I'm not. And so he and I went for breakfast the next day. And here's this big wig executive. He closed the deals for, Kel- for, for NBC Universal, for Kelly, uh, Kelly Clarkson show, for um, America's Got Talent, for um, America Ninja Warrior, right? So this guy's like badass. And I'm at breakfast with him, Lee Strauss, this hotshot lawyer. And I think it's going great. And I see all this high level pacifying. And had you been with me, you would have seen, he grabbed it through his throat. He starts rubbing his hair. And immediately I go, Janine, I think it's like the person, this is what I think in my head, Joe, and you at home, the person landing an airplane, you know, they have their, they're out on the runway with those two lights in their oh, hands yeah. yep. and they're moving the airplane to the left, to the left, to the left or to the right. When I see high level pacifiers to me, it's someone just ran out on the runway and in this conversation and said, go left, go left to the oh, airplane. Okay. And so I see high-level classifiers. I imagine someone running out on the runway telling the plane, turn, 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 aggressively. And so I stopped in the middle of what I was talking about. And I said, you know what, Lee? Enough about that. Now, how did you get up? How did you end up going into blank? You know, what is the thing that you do for fun? How and what questions, not why? So why questions make people feel judged, right? So I talk about that in one of the talks. But ask how, how or what? How did you end up at NBC Universal? What's the thing you like the best about that job? What's the famous person you met that you really love? Or, or uh, tell me about a famous person you met that wasn't like you, what you expected. Tell me the biggest jerk. Who is the biggest jerk? Right. right? And, so- and next thing you know, Lee Strauss is not only talking, sorry to interrupt you, He's now a friend. Two weeks later, he came and stayed at my office, has a bedroom in it. He stayed at my office and he's writing a book on negotiation. I helped him with the outline. Oh my gosh. If you can notice, yeah, if you, this is the value of you can notice body language, you can turn it around and save the day. So that's body language reading and shaping when you, when you want a specific outcome. But let's say, you know, I think back to your talk and you walk us through Chris Watts and his interviews. And he doesn't fidget. And so clearly not everybody is the same. And I guess this might, I have a question on baselining, right? Because if you don't know the person's baseline, it's hard to tell what's uh, off nominal for them. And so when you, when you see somebody who isn't fidgeting and suspected of something, you know, horrible, what's your first thought? Like, uh, I guess, first of all, you have to baseline them, but can you walk me through the process? I guess is what I want to know. Yes. So baselining is getting someone's normal way of that they respond both verbally with their tone, their pitch, their word choices and body language wise. And you're, you're, you're ideally getting this in the first couple minutes. So in a, a situation with Chris Watts, who for people who may not know was found guilty of murdering his pregnant wife, Shanann and his two young daughters, Celeste and Bella. 
Uh, you look at someone like Chris Watts, but where, Janine, where do you get the baseline for this murderer when he's on these TV shows saying they're just missing? You know, in the beginning, he's like, they're missing. By the way, a shout out to to uh, his wife's best friend, Nicole, who thought something was very suspicious. And she called the media. She not only called the police and Chris Watts, she called the media to get the media out there to interview him. And, and one of the people I want to meet in my life is this Nicole, because she did such um, justice to her best friend. It's making me emotional. People could see, you can attest, I have tears in my eyes. That's that's a good best friend, man. So she called the media to get him there. And he was on there. You baseline with things that you know to be true. You know, so something I know, where were you? Was he at work? Or uh, how long have you lived in this house? How did you and Shanann meet? Um, what does Shanann do for work? You're looking at his normal baseline. Now, some things or an anomaly that are out of place. So for me, I don't watch live television ever, ever, ever. Unless maybe I'm at a hotel, I might turn it on for a hot minute and then I realize why I don't watch live TV. So I, I binge watched a couple shows on Apple TV, right, or Netflix. So I didn't know about this Chris Watts thing and my, my social media is lighting up. I'm old, I'm 52, so I'm Facebook, you know. So uh, on Facebook, people are writing to me, Janine, you got to watch this guy. Oh my God, something's, something's off, something's off. Anyone who's taken my classes or followed me, I'm also on, on um, TikTok. So people on TikTok wrote to me as well. And uh, actually, I don't know, did TikTok it create, it probably wasn't created then. So maybe just Facebook. So, but anyway, I am on TikTok. So uh, I start watching Chris Watts. And I used to watch this TV show, Joe, called um, House. Yeah, House. And sometimes House was a doctor, you know, snarky. I loved him. I want to be his friend and his enemy at the same time. It's like, <laughs> sure. I want to love, I want to love to hate him. So, but House would sometimes, they'd have all the symptoms, right? High blood pressure, um, blood in the eyeballs, you know, uh, runny nose, heart palpitate, whatever. And sometimes they would try to break these tough cases. He'd be like, what's missing? Sometimes it's about what's not there. Like, well, what's missing might be the, the link to solving this case in the house. And for Chris Watts, when you watch him, you see micro expressions or seven that we all have. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or Jewish or Buddhist or you travel to Brazil in a jungle and drink poisonous tea and pray to Mother Ayahuasca like my friend Billy Zibi does, right? Yeah. So, it, 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 Or an atheist, right? It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Hispanic, Jewish. doesn't matter if you're in a wheelchair. You have uh, the best health in, in the world. You're a muscle guy. It doesn't matter if you're born in Japan, live there, China, Russia, United States. Like seven universal emotions, we all have them. And they show up similarly on our faces. And those are happiness, sadness, fear, surprise, anger, contempt, and disgust. And we won't go into those today, maybe maybe just a couple. But Chris Watts, who has a missing pregnant wife and two missing daughters under the age of four, is not showing sadness and fear. Forget yeah. about his baseline so sadness and fear these are these micro expressions show up unconsciously they're unconsciously so what happens is our intention comes first like what do we believe and then comes body language then comes thought so thought comes after body language so what we believe about ourselves is the most important thing going back to our dating or, or a job interview so here these are subconscious these the body language happens so He's not showing us fear or sadness at all. It didn't make an appearance, but he was showing disgust and anger and contempt. So I thought that those were very, very interesting. 
um, to see with Chris Watts. Immediately, those are red flags, big red flags for me. And then what, so, and I watched the documentary, I think it was on, on Netflix and that's how I first learned about this case. And the, the follow-up I have to that is how do you know when someone is nervous versus guilty? Cause I, I do things when I'm nervous and I might, and I've never looked at myself in a mirror, but I'm definitely not me. Um, and I have maybe not done anything wrong. So how do you determine, um, like it's, he's in a stressful situation because of, you know, X, Y, and Z versus he did it. How do you determine the difference there? My greatest downfall for this TED talk that you're talking about, that decoding the body language of murderers to have a life you love. And by the way, the name of that talk came, if you want, you can ask me in a minute and I'll tell you where it came from. But my biggest downfall is I did not take the time to talk about baselining in that talk. And I, and if we baselined, you know, I, I'm getting hammered. You know, my son has learning differences. Um, he shows up as someone that might be on the spectrum. We've had him tested for autism because he has certain tells of autistic kids, but his threshold is not high enough to be considered on the spectrum. But he has these very, so people will meet my oldest son, Angus, he's 17, and, and they'll feel there's something different about him because he does have different learning differences, dyslexia and some other things. And I say this because people who are autistic, if we just could get their baseline, we may know that this person might not be good at picking up on the nonverbals like people on the spectrum, kids or adults. Um, you might have a nervous baseline, um, but here's the deal. The nervous baseline will continue when I'm asking you, how did you and Shanann meet? How long ago did you buy this house? Right. Um, you know, how do, you know, how old are your girls? What are the gir your girls that you would still have that nervous baseline throughout the whole entire thing. And the big thing for me, which I do stress a lot and maybe not enough in this particular talk is the power of asking powerful questions. There is no one move that people make or say that indicates that they're lying. It indicates there's a, a spike in stress and anxiety. In my job and your job at home is to ask a powerful question. You know, I call it the MIW formula. Maybe I'm wrong here. Uh, and, and you have to say it calm. You know, maybe I'm wrong here, um, Joe, but it, 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 it kind of feels to me that there's something you're not saying here. You know, maybe I'm wrong here, Michelle. It, it just, it feels to me there's something you're not saying. And then step two is wait, W-A-I-T. It stands for why am I talking? W-Y-A-M-I-I-T, talking. Why am I talking? So maybe I'm wrong here. Ask the question, zip it, lock it put it in your pocket, right? So you you just listen. And by the way, sometimes you have to listen for a good 30 seconds. I did an investigation of someone was stealing gasoline. The eight giant tankers of gasoline, you see those Mac Daddy tankers oh, yeah. that go down the highway? Eight yep. of those a month. Holy cow. That's how much gas was being stolen by this company. And this company is so cool, man. This is such a great company. The owner of the company had cancer. And this company, I'm not going to say who they are because of you know confidentiality on having all this gas stolen, but they anyone who was going through chemotherapy or cancer treatments, they would give you free gasoline while you were really? going through chemo. Yeah. Wow. And so they called me and they said, Janine, again, I'm getting emotional. Janine, we're going to have to stop this program where we give free gasoline to anyone who's current, who needs it, who's going through chemotherapy, radiation, any cancer treatments. We're going to have to stop this program because one of our employees is stealing. Oh. We need you to figure out who it is because we don't want to stop this program for our community. And I'm getting emotional because, I mean, what a way to really give back to the community, right? 
And I came in, I brought six or eight people from my team and I'm not in law enforcement anymore. We just, I had everyone sign a confidentiality agreement and, uh, I mean, uh, um, I can videotape, I videotaped them all and they all signed it. And guess what? To make a long story short, we got a guy to confess and his boss, this guy that confessed to his, his boss was his own brother. Oh my gosh. So talk about a problem with separation of these duties, right? Internal control issue. And the older brother who was not, he was like, I'm like, what would you say if I told you your brother just confessed down the hall that he's been one stealing the gas? And he and he like lit up with F-bombs, you know? And there's no way that my brother would do that. I go, well, he just confessed on camera. And when, when the brother, the guy, the thief did it, it confessed. The reason I tell you this story is they, his wife called me the dragon lady because I come in very calm. It's not judgment. Most of us go back crazy, yep. right? We think our kid is lying. This is bullshit. I saw these edibles. What are these, you know, Skittles? What are medicated Skittles? What does that mean? Does that mean marijuana? You know, and uh, and we get angry. And here's the deal. Research shows that when we're screaming and yelling at people, I talk about this in a different TED Talk with you, uh, one of my talks. I called a, a neuroscientist. When we talk to people with an increased tone and we're screaming and yelling, their brain actually shuts off and stops listening to us. Really? And that's why we're saying, I've told you 10 times, 10 times. Yeah, they didn't hear the first nine and they're not hearing number 10 either yep. because you're screaming. I mean, it's scientifically proven because our brain, it's its a protective mechanism. So we're not hearing what you're saying. So calm, maybe I'm wrong here. So maybe I'm wrong here, but it, it, it just feels to me, it, it, it seems to me there's there's something here you're not saying, you know, really calm. And that's what I did with this guy uh, who was stealing the gasoline. I said, listen, you know, we'll call him Mike. Listen, Mike, you know, maybe I'm wrong here, but it, it just, it feels to me there's something you're not telling me. And I feel it has to do with, you know, something about the gas, you know, what is it you're not saying? And then wait. Right. And, it, you know, the first thought I had when I watched your talk is, can you mask your body language? Can you, is it so intertwined in just you as a human uh, that you can't ever change it? Or can you cognizantly go, okay, I'm going to be a statue and a stone here. Or does that also send you as someone who's investigating go, that's, that's also off. Is it lose, lose, no matter what you do? A friend of mine, he's a, a Marine and worked at the FBI behavioral unit for a bit. His name's Frank Marsh. He says, everything says something. Okay, that's good. So if you stop having an affect, that still says something. Everything says something. And one of the things that if I were to to all the entrepreneurs out there or, or salespeople, if you're listening, my shout out to you would be make sure you have glass tables because it's really easy for me to fake a smile. But what's happening with my feet? Are my feet moving? Are my toes going up? Because I'm excited about your price point, but I'm still trying to negotiate. But you gave me a price I like, and I went up on my toes. Um, so you want to, you know, you're losing 70% of body language if you have a wooden table and you're doing these negotiations. I think all executives, like corporate executives, should have a glass table in their room, in their office as well. So you're, you're, you want to see all those those body language. But here's the deal. The micro expressions are still there, but most people are not trained in micro expressions. They happen in a 15th of a second, bam, it's gone. Right. And I, there's some things I can't unsee. I think that if you know what to look for, I'll give you an example, Scott Peterson. Okay. Scott Peterson, another murderer, uh, Scott Peterson killed his pregnant wife, um, Lacey Peterson and his unborn son, Connor. All right. This guy, Scott Peterson, 
when talking about truthful statements, what I believe to be truthful, and a system called LVA, Layered Voice Analysis, can analyze his voice, uh, he would use a lot of ums. It's part of his baseline. Um, I did this, um, I did this, um. When he lied, when's the last time you saw Lacey? He said she was wrapping presents in the living room. Uh, he All the ums disappeared. So his baseline of saying ums suddenly stops master manipulator, suddenly stops in the moments where he's being deceptive and it lights up as the anomaly, his weight, er, his baseline just, you know, imagine that person is out on the runway with those two light up things, batons in their hands saying problem, problem, there's a problem here. And so it's not one it's not one verbal or nonverbal indicates someone's holding something back. It's asking those powerful questions, noticing the change in behavior, even master manipulators. I mean, even Ted Bundy, I talk about him in that Ted talk that you're talking about here. Um, Ted Bundy even did eye blocking. You know, this eye blocking is like the password on your cell phone. It's someone doesn't want you to know their inner most thoughts. And Ted Bundy did that. You see this with all the murderers, they'll do eye blocking and it's all subconscious. I'm sure. But it's not an absolute though. Cause I saw you on, I want to say court TV, you were breaking down the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial and Johnny Depp's head was down while she was testifying. And, and I saw you say that this actually doesn't mean you didn't read into it. Um, that his eyes were down. Whereas if a novice watches your Ted talk, then they go, boom, Johnny Depp, that guy's guilty. He's staring down the whole time she's talking, but they're very different. Well, Johnny Depp said something along the lines, and, and it's been a hot second since I, I was in that Johnny Depp world there. I was in the courtroom for that. But Johnny Depp said something along the lines of, he will not look her in the face. Ah, uh, okay. She will. He will never look at her again. Okay, got it. And so going in, that matched what he, he like made this declaration, like basically she's dead to him. And he would not give her the respect of looking her in the face. Okay, so- So that- so that that's a wash for it's, me. It's a wash. And he's listening. He's listening. So if she's on the stand, so auditory people give don't give eye contact. Auditory people lend an ear. There's something called right ear activation, REA. REA, for a while they thought that it was just for kids. So kids when learning, watch them. They will lend their right ear. Okay. Mm. Because of ambient noise and all this stuff that we learn better with our right ear. And now current studies in the last couple of years, several years have proven that adults as well. So start paying attention when you're at a pool, when you're at, you know, a casino and you're in a convention center, if you're in an office building, you're at a restaurant, you're at a bar, which ear do you lend? Johnny Depp putting his head down is still listening to what's happening, you know? So, uh, and by the way, it, she was off to his right hand side from where he was sitting in the courtroom. So that right ear activation, you'll, you'll, you're trying to eavesdrop on someone. You're not using your left ear, unless you have some ear damage, you're using your right ear to listen okay. when there's ambient noise, even left-handed people, even left-handed people. Right. Because it has to do with the brain, okay. right? So the right side of our body can, is, is operated from the left side of our brain. Got it. Okay. And then the, the, I guess the question I have to that is, if you're deaf now, have you ever maybe to back up, have you ever had an interpreter when you were speaking to a deaf person trying to pick up on their body language? Does do the same flows happen as they take in information? Cause it's not auditory. It's, um, it's visual. I haven't done any, I haven't done any research with deaf people. I have had, um, one deaf student once in a class, 
Okay. Um, and you would think that someone who is deaf, because they want to pay attention to your um, the, your lips, right? You might think that they're really good at reading body language, and the answer is no. Really? They're not good at reading body language. Oh, no. interesting. Maybe facial expressions. They're so focused on looking at your face and your lips that they're missing that your toes just went up, or they're missing that you're playing oh. with your cuticle, or oh. you're missing... And, and so... Can they be better at it? Yes, just like all of us, we can learn. There's three types of people that are good at detecting deception and reading body language. Kids who had some type of abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse as a kid. You have to know when dad puts his certain baseball hat on, he's going to beat the crap out of mom that night. Or that mom has another bottle of vodka, she cracks it open, that she's going to you know, sleep for the next three days or whatever it is. Or verbal abuse. So kids who have some type of abuse, people who have a left brain stroke and the right brain takes over, become really good at picking up on the anomalies of body language. Okay. And then people who are trained like the Secret Service every day. Cops, lawyers, judges, cops, lawyers, judges, school teachers, therapists, all not good at reading body language. Interesting. So then when you're in the courtroom then and you hear a lawyer, you know, examining someone on the stand... How often do you disagree with where their line of questions go based on the responses from? Oh, listen, all day long, I want to send them. I want like all their phone <laughs> yeah. numbers. I want to say, dude, you just missed yeah. like the smoking gun on the facial expressions, right? So like I'll see something and I'm like, oh my gosh, you, you, <laughs> like this is even me when I, you know, I worked at ATF and I was on the stand once and it was so funny because I was on the stand and I had a box of tissue right there in front of me and I thought, oh, someone's going to make, this is the first, I was like 23 and I'm like, oh, someone's going to make me cry. And I was up there and this, this lawyer, right? I worked for the government. So he's trying to like discredit me. And, he, and there's some, there's a town that's called Hartford and then New Hartford, or I forget something like that. Hartford and New Hartford or, or West Hartford. I don't know. So say Hartford, New Hartford, I'm forgetting now. So I'm on the stand and he's showing me this paperwork that I submitted in my report for this guy who was doing all this illegal stuff, right? And he's like, Miss Driver, is this your signature? Is this your handwriting? And I'm like, Yes, sir. And I see it. And at the top, I wrote Hartford instead of New Hartford, which are two totally different towns. Now I'm, I'm mixing this up a smidge on the names, but essentially it's like Virginia versus West Virginia. Okay. Right. They're two totally different states. Right. So right. I had two different towns, but want, they have the same name, like Virginia in there. So then I'm like, I see it and I go, oh, immediately my brain, my body language must have been falling apart because my brain is thinking, oh, he's going to say, Miss Driver, if you made a mistake here, where else have you made mistakes in this investigation? And I saw the whole thing it was like the thread that you pull and it unravels the whole entire sweater. And I'm, and I'm seeing it and he's handing me these forms that I pick up on it immediately that I have written the name of this guy's town wrong. And I'm like, oh, this lawyer's so good. He's going to, how, and my brain starts getting five steps ahead. How am I going to justify this? When he's, he's about to say to me, Miss Driver, if you made a mistake here, where else have you made mistakes? How often do you make mistakes, Miss Driver? How often do you, does anyone double check your work, Miss Driver? Did anyone go out if you made, and I'm like, you're going to create doubt in the, brains of the jurors that I am competent. I was 23 years old. I'm this 23 year old kid investigating firearms trafficking, putting this guy out of business, this good businessman who's been in business for 15, 20 years. And I'm this punk 23 year old kid working for the government. You're like, this is what I'm thinking he's going to say. Right. And 
he didn't say any of it. And I was like, that dope needs to learn body language because <laughs> I know I was falling apart. I know it. Yeah, I know it. So sweating. I think that, I think that, um, I watch these cases online. I think that, and the reason I say the judges, lawyers, police officers, school teachers, and therapists are not good at t- reading body language and technical deception. Um, there's many others. The reason I bring these five up are because we think that they probably are. We think that right. these are the people that are really good at reading yeah. people, right? Judges, lawyers, therapists, school teachers, right? Parents. We think that we're good. You, the only way to be- get better at it is to start to study it. Study body language and to and statement analysis, words that have hidden meaning. Like there's a hand gesture, Joe and you at home, that turns agreement to disagreement and no one's ever told us. I say, yeah, Joe, I'd love to. I see you're married. I see a ring on your finger. But if you had asked me on a date and you said, and I said, yeah, Joe, I'd love to, to go on a date with you. Oh, and you touch your head. What yeah. is the, yeah, <laughs> what's the hand gesture that I'm saying yes, I'm, my head is shaking yes. But if you do those upper facial pacifiers at the same time, not good. Rubbing your head from the nape of your head, um, nape of your neck up. That's what women will tend to do. Men will pat the back of their head. But uh, any head touches at the same time, I say, this sounds great or no, I'm not going to do that. If I'm giving you a statement, yes or no, and I do a facial pacifier at the same time, that is flipping. They're saying there's a problem here. Interesting. So I say, okay. yes, that's great. I love it. And I pacify you don't know why they're pacifying, but I would say, hey, maybe I'm wrong here, MIW, maybe I'm wrong here. It seems to me that that there might be a, a challenge about us getting together. So then, you, you, like you said, you assume a lawyer is going to be an expert at this, but they're not. But then I think about the jurors who are watching these testimonies. And I, I mean, I haven't been a juror. I can only assume you don't get coached in reading people's body language. How often... Do you see a verdict and you've been involved in the trial that you really disagree with how the jury read that individual? Does it happen often or can enough people get together and kind of piece it together? You know, for me, I'm not involved a lot with jurors, jurors and only these big, big, you know, I weigh, I'm one of the body language experts for court TV. I'm trying to get my own show over there. Um, but I'd have to go back to where I think a jury got it wrong all the way back to OJ Simpson. Um, and I think that that whole thing was a debacle of how that case went about. And um, it was a big mess, but uh, you know, I've been, I've weighed in on with court TV and, and with the public on, um, on cases where people don't like my opinion, where I say, well, if the jury gets this right, they're going to find him not guilty. And lo and behold, the jury finds him not guilty. And people will get like pissy with me and be like, but he's guilty. You know, that guy, um, Rittenhouse, whatever his name is, this young kid, he took a gun, he went and there was this whole thing. Right, yes. I'm like, he's going to be yeah. found not guilty. He's going to, or he should be found not guilty. And and then the jury found him not guilty and people were pissed. Uh, but they had video footage where this other guy is chasing him down saying, I'm going to kill you. So yes, do I think that kid should have had a gun? It was his relative's gun. No, all that stuff. There were problems. Listen, this is the problem. Even even Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp is toxic. I love Johnny Depp. But he, you know, you're just looking at two toxic people here. Johnny Depp and his ex-wife, Amber Heard. And you're saying, okay, well, they're both toxic. You know, they both have problems. I mean, he, he fell on his sword. He said, yeah, he was doing coke and drugs and, you know, and was a drunk and just owned his shit. Where she came across as, instead of owning her shit, uh, Amber Heard came across as she's, you know, this innocent victim. 
And immediately I knew the jury was not, no one liked her. No one liked her. And listen, I believe in comebacks. I believe in, you know, hopefully, you know, with time she'll develop emotional intelligence and um, she's a toxic person and he's a toxic person. They're made for each other. So when you, when you sit in on a trial, then I want to compare that to, to a Carol Baskins, right? Who's on, (laughs) who's on a Netflix series, right? You get snippets of her life. You get the, the pieces that Netflix chose to show and you could do your own research, but are you, would you say your confidence meter in reading someone goes up the more time you spend with them because you see the baselines or are, do you feel like you're, you're pretty much able to, to cut out and identify who's BSing and who's not even through selective clips? Cause my worry is, you know, on something like a show or the, even the news, it can kind of be manipulated sometimes to some extent where we only get pieces of what's really happening. Does it make it hard for you then to come out with a, you know, I'll call it a verdict in quotes uh, about whether someone's guilty or not. If you only get those snippets. Yeah. Carol Baskins is an interesting person. You know, um, she's not been found guilty of anything. She's not in jail for anything. She went, most people probably know about Carol Baskins because they're at least if you're my age, because you have teenagers that uh, are on TikTok and did this whole Carol Baskins thing on TikTok. Um, this was a, a series that had come out and was her, it's the tiger world, the lion world, whatever. It was very interesting. And um, her husband went missing, Her one of her husbands went missing. And it's very suspicious. Weird things happened. His will suddenly changed. Uh, people think that Carol Baskin fed him to the tiger, right? It fed him to the tiger. What right. I have to say about Carol Baskins in this documentary, which by the way, a documentary is snippets. They're going to show you what they want to show you. And they put music on to influence how you're feeling about people. And you're, you're being manipulated right. by sure, for sure. And she's like giggling and laughing when she's talking about, yeah, I fed, yeah, I fed him to the tigers. Yeah. Um, there's a comedian named Joe Matarese. And he says, when one day his girlfriend found uh, a, another woman's phone, he's now married, but his girlfriend found another woman's phone number in his pants when she was washing the clothes. And he's like, she was like, who's this? Who's this? Who's Michelle? Who's Michelle? He goes, what? I love you. <laughs> what? What? I love you. Um, when people suddenly laugh, when you're confronting them, that's a hot spot, right? Like if I asked you, if I asked you, are you on heroin right now, Joe? No. You just no. simply say no. Certainly no not. is the strongest denial, by the way. Better yeah. than certainly not. Fine. It's fine that you said certainly not after. But you always want the no. No is the strongest denial. Um, anything more than that, you're trying to convince. Truthful people convey. Liars try to convince. Absolutely not. What kind of person would you think I am? I have to be stupid to do something like that. I knew you could ask me this question, Janine. I knew it. Just ask my friends. They'll tell you I don't do heroin. This is all overcompensating. Truthful people convey. Janine, do you ever cheat on your ex-husband? No. Boom. It's a period. It's a di- right, I can then say, it. no, I'm I'm not a cheater. I, I don't care if you want to say stuff afterward, but, but I'm, I'm looking for the no is the strongest denial. Carol Baskins starts laughing. And she also, in the statement analysis world, there's this guy named Mark McGlish. She has this really cool book out there about statement analysis. I think it's blue, navy blue, if you look it up. He is too. The first book's my favorite. And... He says that we tell people who we really are, like Maya Angelou, the great poet, that people are showing you and telling you who they are, pay attention, by looking at the statements that they're using. And so this is another a verbal hotspot. Yeah, I fed him to the tiger. So 
he, she's literally saying what? I fed him to the tiger. So this is another hot spot. Now watch you at home. I'm going to explain this. Here's the deal. I say to you, Joe, uh, I know you think I'm the kind of person who would cheat on you. I know you think I'm the kind of person who would cheat on you. Okay. A. B. I just want to let you know, I'm not the kind of person who would cheat on you. I just want to let you know, I'm not the kind of person who would cheat on you. Both have suspicious things. Both have suspicious things. Both are weak statements, but one is more dangerous than the other. Just like the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Both are toxic, but one was more toxic and a liar, right? Amber Heard. So which one, ready? I know you think A, or number one, A, uh, I know you think I'm the kind of person who would cheat on you, but I'm not. B, I just want to let you know, I'm not the kind of person who would cheat on you, which is more suspicious. I think A would be the, I think A would be more suspicious to me. I hope I'm right. Why? Or what? What makes you say like, that? See, eliminate those yeah, whys. I think it's yeah. because it, it feels like you're softening the message with A, although I might not be understanding it correctly. Okay. So both are suspicious. So let's start first. You're correct. First, let's start with the second one, okay. which was um, I just to let you know, just to let you know, just to let you know is five words that are unnecessary. Oh, so okay. this is called a, a, this is like a stalling technique or a buffer. They're unnecessary words. So when someone says just to let you know, no, whatever's coming next is some type of drama. Right. Okay. It's like someone saying, can I ask you a question? That's six unnecessary words. Just ask the question. You're right. already asking a question about asking a question. Right. Just say, hey, Joe, can I borrow 20 bucks? Sure. Yep. Hey, Joe, can I ask you a question? Sure, Janine, can I borrow 20 bucks? When someone is using unnecessary words like that up front, they're telling you it's something they're uncomfortable with. Right. So I'm embarrassed that I have to borrow 20 bucks because I forgot my wallet. Can I ask you a question? Anytime someone writes to me, can I ask a question? And I see that in a text, I go, whatever they're going to ask me next is something they're uncomfortable asking me. Oh, see, when you said the second one, I didn't even pick up on just, or I forget what you used. Just to let you know. Just to let you know. I didn't even pick up on that. Okay. Just to let you know, I'm not the kind of person who cheat on you. In statement analysis, I can take a word, words off the beginning and the end of a statement or a sentence, but not out of the middle. So the second one was just to let you know. So that's a hot spot because that's unnecessary language, right? It's a little smoke screen there. Uh, I'm not the kind of person who would cheat on you. I cannot lift that word not out of the middle of that sentence. I'm literally telling you, I'm not the kind of person who would cheat on you. Now, maybe the reason just to let you know is up front is because my ex cheated on me or because my father's to cheat on my mother, hypothetically, right? It's telling you when I say I'm not the kind of person who cheat on you um, and I have that little teaser in the front, it, this is a, something, a topic I'm sensitive about. But now let's go to the first one. I know you think I'm the kind of person who would cheat on you. I can take off the beginning. I know you think, throw that away. I'm the kind of person who would cheat on you. Ah, we got it. So, our, you know, JonBenet Ramsey, Jean, little Patsy Ramsey, I mean, little JonBenet was murdered in her home. Patsy Ramsey has since died. I'm not saying she did it. Uh, you can ask me off of, you know, the husband sues, the father of little JonBenet sues anyone who talks about this case. So if you want to know my opinion, you can call and I'll talk to you. <laughs> sure. Send me a private message, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but, but the mother said in the interview, fine, if I killed the child, tell me steps one through 10 how I did it. Oh. Fine. <laughs> On Larry King Live, something along that gist. I might be misquoting it. But if I killed the child, 
take, I can take out if. So it just is a hot spot. It doesn't mean that she killed them, but it killed her daughter, but for sure. And that child is, is distancing language. So there's two hot spots that I would want to ask Patsy Ramsey more questions if she was alive or if I was part of that interview. See, this is what I'm saying. It's not just lawyers. It's the interviewers. The interviewer should have said, that's an interesting response, you know, but that, that case was very dicey because the, the Ramseys gave the reporter questions they were allowed to ask and they could only ask those questions. So that's a uh, story behind okay. the story. Now let's get back to what's her face here. Uh, Baskins, Carol Baskins is laughing. She's laughing. So we got a hot spot with the laughter. And then she says what? Yeah, I fed him to the tigers. <laughs> she said what? I fed him to the tigers. So for me, those are two very dramatic um, hotspots where I would want to ask Carol Baskins more questions about that. Um, he never appeared. He's he's gone. And uh, for me, I would not, let me just put it this way so I don't get sued. I would not be surprised if Carol Baskins did in fact fed her husband to the Tigers. You said something interesting and it was, um, it got me thinking, if you know that someone has the questions beforehand, does it change your interpretation of how they respond? Because they've had a chance to, like you said, interviewers are kind of bad at that for some reason. And if they give them the questions beforehand, is are the answers almost useless and the body language that comes out of it pointless? Sometimes, yes. Because, you know, think about it. It's like um, the person that tells the same lie over and over and over again, they believe it. And so do I think that you can practice being a better liar? Yeah. And... I think it's up to us to ask the good questions, you know, to ask really, really good questions um, and pay attention to their answers. You know, uh, Casey Anthony, the mother, the grandmother. So Casey Anthony had a daughter, right? She was the, after Susan Smith, who, who drowned her two kids in the early 90s, which I talk about in my TED Talk. Then the second, she was the most hated mother in the world, then came along Casey Anthony. So Casey Anthony was found guilty of not murdering her daughter, Kaylee, but was found guilty of lying to police, right? So she's out and about. But I think that many people believe that Casey Anthony, in fact, murdered her daughter. Yet I believe, in my own personal opinion, that if Casey Anthony was 100 pounds overweight and had one tooth hanging on in her mouth, she'd be in jail right now for murdering her daughter. But she's fit and pretty and cute. And she just doesn't look like a monster. Like you don't look at her and, and see a monster. Well, this Casey Anthony, the grandmother, Cindy Anthony, the grandmother to Kaylee. I know this is kind of like a, a tree, a tree, right? So we've got the grandmother of Cindy, then we have Casey Anthony, and then we have little Kaylee. Okay, so these are our three levels. The grandmother, Cindy Anthony, called the police and said, my daughter had been missing for a month, and she just came back, and I found out my granddaughter's been missing for over a month, and it smells like there's been a dead body in the trunk of the damn car. Whoa. When police... From my understanding, police who were interviewing her, who I met, when when police interviewed Casey Anthony, she said something along the lines about the smell in the trunk of the damn car, something along the lines of dead squirrels climbed up into my engine and died. Okay. Well, a, a dead squirrel can't climb. What is it? A zombie squirrel? <laughs> I will re, you know, I will re die. You know, so but what our brain does, and the reason I'm telling you this story, Joe, and you at home, is our brain wants to fill in the blanks. Our brain wants to make sense of it. So we our brain translates that to, oh, a squirrel died in her trunk. That's what she's saying. We the way you didn't hear me say, hey, yeah, just to let you know, I'm not the kind of person. You didn't hear me say just to let you know. 
Yet I said it several times. Yeah. Our brain is taking shortcuts to understand what people are conveying. And so when Casey Anthony says a dead squirrel climbed in my engine and died, not the trunk engine, dead squirrel can't climb. Our brain makes sense. Roger Clemens said, lied to, to Mike Wallace years ago. You know, did you ever take steroids? You know, about this whole case. And Roger Clemens, the former basketball, uh, baseball player. Uh, and with full disclosure, I'm not a fan. Uh, but he said, um, how do I prove a negative? How do I prove a negative? How do I prove a negative, Mike? How do I prove a negative? What he's really trying to say is, how do I get people to believe that I'm telling the truth? But uh, our brain doesn't want us to lie. So when we do lie, our body language, the word choices we use, our tone, our pitch, it begins to shift unconsciously without us being aware. Because our brain doesn't want us to lie. But the more you practice something, the better you'll get at it. And if you're trained on what to look and listen for, you can still bust the, the, you know, the Ted Bundys of the world, that there's a problem here. So then I want to... I want to bring it to an interesting topic here um, as far as identifying guilty people. Maybe not someone who's necessarily guilty, but I, you know, from time to time you see someone who commits a heinous act and then they plead insanity. And I'm curious, you know, I think her name is Letitia Stotch is a, is a, a recent one. And is there a way from body language to tell if someone truly is uh, not mentally fit or you're shaking your head right now. I, I was wondering that after I saw your TED talk, like how, how could you tell if someone actually is or isn't, is there a body language indicator to show someone is cognizant of what's happening? <laughs> no, no, not that I'm aware of. Okay. As a matter of fact, I also wish there was a body language tell to tell me if someone was a narcissist, you know? Right. Uh, it's, I work with a, a, a guy friend of mine, uh, Brian Galke is his name, and he reads faces. And you'll have to interview him. Uh, he doesn't have his TED Talk yet, so we need to get him a TED Talk first, and then you'll have to interview him. But he talks about what's on your face, right? And so there's different marks on our face and how high your eyebrows are, your size of your eyes. 98% accurate face reading. It's amazing. Oh, wow. He's teaching me how to do it. It's unbelievable. Uh, I was just talking to a guy on Bumble. 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 I don't know why. Anytime I talk about Bumble, I always have to sing Bumble. <laughs> so there's a shout out for Bumble. So I was talking to this guy in Bumble, um, just texting back and forth. And um, he's asking me lots of questions. You know, last relationship I was in, why it ended, like, like really like big questions. You know, what are my top three values? And and I'm like, I got to look at this guy's face again. So now we're, I'm not looking at his pictures. We're writing back and forth. I go, I bet you this guy has high eyebrows. And I go back, I did, reverse engineered it. And I went back in and his eyebrows were really high in his forehead. And really? what Brian talks about is eyebrows are a speed bump. And when people have high eyebrows, what I mean by that is it's more, so if you take my eyebrow right now, like you have low eyebrows like me, if you put, and you at home, put your, your finger um, under your eyebrow and it, if it touches your eyelid, that means all the information comes in from our brain down our forehead and can go right into our brain, right into our eyes. So I have very low eyebrows right above my eyes. People, if your eyebrows are more than a finger away from your eyelid, these people, when information comes in, it hits a speed bump. And now all of a sudden, they need to think about it more. These are the people, if you get them to buy, they'll have buyer's remorse. These are the people, if you're in a meeting with high eyebrow people, they're going to have the most questions. They're not going to understand it quickly. You and me, Joe, we can get information very quickly and understand it and process it and get it. We can act. The high eyebrow people want to ask tons of questions. They don't really quite understand it. So I said to the guy, I go, you, 
after I see the eyebrows, I go, you seem like the kind of person that needs to process information a lot and, and, and rethink about it and from different points of views and, and really need to process it. And he goes, yeah, is that a problem? And oh. I was like, unmatched. It it's now. a problem for me. <laughs> yeah. It's a problem for me. I just, I, no offense. I don't want to date any high eyebrow people. I'm a very impulsive person. I'm quick on my feet. Like those people, I would drive them nuts because I'm so impulsive and make decisions quickly. They'd be like, well, did you look into this? And did you see the other options? And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm success. My success comes from being seizing opportunities. I'm all about acting. Like great Grant Cardone, not to c- compare me to him, but Grant Cardone, he, he's written books on how to sell and they're amazing and they have a shit ton of typos. He doesn't give a shit. He, had, he was motivated to, he stayed up one night and wrote this book and the books made him millions of dollars and, ch- and turned people into millionaires. And it's got a ton of typos. He doesn't need your email telling him where all the typos are in all the pages. He doesn't give a shit. He's motivated to get you the data. That's me. I'm like that. I'm motivated. When you say high eyebrows, do you mean lifting your eyebrows so you see the creases in the forehead or you mean physically their eyebrows are just set higher on their face they're set well first of all when i lift my eyebrows and you see the wrinkles on my forehead some people don't have them i have them they're those are called einstein lines and so let me see it yeah Yeah. you have like one really intense one and a smaller one when you have einstein lines i have a couple when you have einstein lines these i if you lift up your eyebrows you see lines on your forehead those are indicate someone who has gone really deep on a topic. So for me, like body language, emotional intelligence, detecting deception for you, um, maybe you know a lot about TED Talks or maybe you're an EMT, maybe you're an electrician. I don't know. Um, actors have this, lawyers have them, judges, people who study really more than the average person in content will have these. Look at every actor has these. Unless they Botox, so temporarily they disappear. No, I'm talking about your eyebrows literally placed on your forehead if, I, if they're up high. And this guy, it's so funny because, um, where's my phone? Um, I took a picture of this other. So now I'm just any of the any people that that on Bumble women have to pick the men, but men can like you. Oh yeah. And I'm gonna see. So I only look at people who like me. And if they have high eyebrows, I'm like, I don't have this kind of time. They're gone. I just so- don't. I don't swipe right. And no offense to them, you know, go find another high eyebrow person so you can ask <laughs> tons of questions together and live in the world of uncertainty. You know. So a, I'm going to, I'm going to show you this. Yeah. Yeah. Let, yeah. Let's see this. So more of like, a I sh- want to show you, this is what I mean. And the people at home won't be able to hear, but if I put my finger underneath this guy's eyebrows, ah, uh, okay. Yes. I wouldn't touch the eyelid. Look how high this yes. is. This is the guy that was writing all those questions. The people at home can't see it. And I don't uh, want you to put okay. it as a screenshot and because, because this is, you know, not, I don't have his yep, permission so unless he. you just do his eyes. Maybe you do this <laughs> or just his brows. Yeah. Um, yeah, just do his eye yeah, he does right have from high the top eyebrows. of his eyes. Yeah. Do you see this? Look at my eyebrows versus yours. If I put my finger under my eyebrow, if I do yeah. his, it's his is like in the right side of your face is your business side and your left is your personal side. So you, so you can have different things happening on your face. Interesting. Okay. But those are, that's what I mean. So when you're picking and you your at profile home, pictures, you, just, you got to be careful then. For me, for me, you know, and everybody's different. So you can see some of my eyelid. And again, by the way, Brian does this really cool online class. So every time I'm dating somebody, so his specialty, and this goes back to like Socrates, this has been around forever, okay, this face reading stuff. And um, I send Brian, if I start to like a guy, send a picture and he analyzes, I'm going to show you, Joe, and and you can describe, I don't know how you can describe it. So, But um, this guy will then analyze for me, the face of this person. So look, 
I'm showing you. So I send this to my friend oh Brian, my and he sends back the face with this this one, this one guy, what one, two, three, four, five, six, like nine comments. Wow. And these things say forced focus lines can zone out, and when every when everyone else um, is focused, I have forced focus lines. See this this line right here? Oh yeah, I have. This those. is yeah. Let me say, okay, yeah. So from the inner part of the eyebrow, I'm going to describe this. From the inner part of our eyebrow, if you draw from where my eye is, the inner part, if I draw a line straight up to the crease in my hand, head, right, to my hairline, yep, that's called forced focus lines. That's you can zone everything else out when focused. I have a line right here. Wrinkle your nose. Let me see. Lift your glasses up for a second. All right, you do not have it. So I have a line right here that goes from my right eye to my left eye, connecting them almost as if I'm I'm wearing a pair of glasses, right? That center point. This right here is called the freight train line, which is get on board or get out of my way. <laughs> I like when it I fitting. make up my mind. Yeah, so it's so funny. So I was talking to this guy. We exchanged our numbers um, from Bumble and we were on video. And we were on video. I go, can you do me a favor? I can, can you put your eyebrows down for a second? Because I thought I had seen it. And I go, ooh. He goes, what? I go, you're stubborn. When you make up your mind, you either get on board or get out of your way. He goes, how do you know that about me? He goes, it's 100% true. Really? I go, you have what I have. I go, so we're two stubborn people. I go, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'd give it a shot. We could give it a shot. And he goes, you got to be kidding me. I go, no, I can't unsee it. So yeah, imagine if I had invisible glasses, it, it goes from one eye to the other. It's that center point and I have that line. You don't have it. So this is very stubborn people. Get on, It's called the freight train line. Like when someone says, I, I'm the person that will paint the wall till three in the morning. And you're like, I got to go to bed, Janine. I'm exhausted. I'm like, it's okay. I'm going to do it. It's not like I'm a, I'm a mean person. It's like, fine, either help me or don't help me. Just get out of my way. Right. Absolutely. I'm going to finish this. I'm going to stay up until it's done. Like I'm that person and I have no problem doing it on my own. Just don't don't be like, you're going to work yourself to the bone. You need to take a break. Shut up. Like, I don't want that. Like, right. <laughs> I'm only kidding. But but I don't. I don't, you know, let me do my thing. So then and my, I guess maybe the, the last question I had is I watched your talk and I, you know, clearly this is your whole life. You are the body language expert. You've written two incredible books on it. And I couldn't help but but think, and I I got to ask you, do you ever wish you could turn it off? Do you ever do you ever go? I wish I could just have a conversation with someone and not analyze their face, not analyze their body. Does it ever does it ever weigh on you, or do you just go? I love it. I want to know everything about everyone all the time. Well, first of all, I'm asked this question a lot, and I'm going to give you a different answer than I would normally give, which is. I would never want to turn it off. Okay. I, I wish that we all had the ability to be authentic. I wish we all had the ability to be real. Um, I wish we all had the ability to know when someone is withholding something and, and then ask the right questions. And with that being said, because I have a unmedicated ADHD, I was medicated years ago, and I, I remember people would say something funny, and I'd be like, normally I'd say something funny here. Oh, well. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't work for me. Um, I'd rather you know deal with the consequences of having ADHD, and, and, and there's a lot with without medication. There's a lot of challenge, including like falling in love too quickly. You know, that's an ADHD thing. I'm medicated ADHD. Like we meet someone, and we, we like fall in love a little too fast. But anyway, that's a sidebar. What I do is this, because I have ADD, I don't really pay attention. 
Like I'm not, I'm not even analyzing your body language. And now I am now looking at you like you, you have to no. now I am because you have to prime me. You have to say, listen, at the end, I'm going to ask you to tell me three things you notice about me. I'm not a detail oriented person. So, which is to my detriment, I think sometimes with body language reading, um, I like statement analysis better than body language. I like words because there's certain words that have hidden meaning that are, they always mean something. Body language just indicates to me if you're stressed, if this is spike in stress and anxiety, if you're calm, if you're relaxed, it doesn't tell me anything other than there's a spike of stress here. Like I'll give you a quick example. Babies, when babies are crying and they're having a little mental breakdown, just before they fall asleep, what do they do with their body? What do they do with their eyes? I truthfully don't know. I'm sorry, Janine. I want you to imagine you're watching a movie, baby's crying. They do something to their eyes. What do you think they do? Close them. Oh, touch them. Touch them. <laughs> they rub their eyes. Rub their eyes. When we touch our eyes, when we touch our eyes, it literally is moving our eyeball. You can Google this and there's been an fMRI done on this, right? You can see the video. We touch our eye just a tiny little bit, Joe, like I'm doing now. It tickles our brain, uh, behind our eyes, a nerve that tickles our brain and dumps dopamine into our body. So dopamine helps us sleep and relax. Babies, just before they fall asleep, rub their eyes. Boom. Dopamine is released. The baby falls asleep. As adults, because our body is always communicating with our brain and our brain is communicating with our body. When there's a spike in stress and anxiety, you will see adults touch their eyes. And one of my, and one of my keynotes, I I have 12 different keynotes, motivational keynotes that I do to, this is how I make money, right? I go on stages and and to sales and HR and leadership, especially when companies are like merging or they're creating new teams or there's a new supervisor in town, any of that stuff like change. That's, that's really good. Um, And if you, what I show is a video of the former president of Mexico saying that President Obama in the United States was going to come to town and we were going to help Mexico with their cartel problem. And I play this video at the end after I've given all these tips, you know, there's like, I give away like 38 different body language and statement analysis hacks and tips. I play this at the end and I say, how confident is he that the United States and President Obama at the time was going to help with the cartel problem? And the audience burst out laughing because he does foretells that indicate there's a lack of confidence here. And one of them he does is he begins to rub his eye, just touching it with his, with his index finger. And they all burst out laughing. So if you wake up in the morning, the last, and you have to get up, stop rubbing your eyes because you're dumping more dopamine and you're going to get even more tired and go to bed. The better thing is when you wake up to wake up and it's, it's called the scuba diving effect. You go in, you turn on cold water and you can splash cold water in your face or fill the sink up with cold water and, and put your face in the cold water. This also decreases stress and anxiety, cold water on your face. Okay. Cause it's lowering your heart rate. It's calming you down. Do not rub your eyes. In meetings, when someone suddenly starts touching their eye, you stop and say, okay, is that just a random itch? Or is it possible at this point in the conversation, there's a spike in stress and anxiety here? So you'll see leaders doing this. I have a, on my one slide, I think I have, I have everyone. I have Trump, I have Obama, I have Bush. I have all these world leaders touching their eyes at these integral moments. Interesting. Okay. So that I feel like that's something really, an easy spot too. 
and probably so you can't unsee touch it. it. You can't see it. You touch it. You go, something's something's happening. Here. Yeah. I'm like, oh, OK, at the very least, I know dopamine's now b- jumping in your body. So maybe you'll calm down if you're a little too intense. And be like, can you just rub your you can say to your kids, could you do me a favor? Could you go sit on that couch and rub your eyes for 15 seconds? And then we can talk about what you want to talk about. Right. Sure. So maybe we can reverse engineer the eye touch. Uh, your question was would I like to turn it off if I could? And the, and the answer is no. I, I It's a gift. I'm, I, I say a swearing Christian. I believe it's a gift that it's been given to me by the mentors that I've had that God's put in my path. And I'm so grateful for this gift. And I would never say ever that I would want to turn it off. And it naturally turns itself off because I don't need to analyze you. I'm not I'm a very positive person. So I'm never, ever, ever looking for someone manipulating and lying to me. Ever. It would have to be, you'd have to do something interesting where I'd be like, that's interesting. Why? I'm just a, I look for the goodness in people. But if, if we're talking and I say, you know, did you ever, which I'm not going to ask. I don't want to know that. I, this is my biggest mistake. In interviews, I'm always like, so did you ever cheat on your wife? And then all of a sudden the person falls apart and I'm like, oh my gosh, why no. do I ask this question? I'm not even going to ask. I don't want to know. I'm not even going to no, ask. No, the answer is no. Okay, good. I'm not going to ask additional questions. I was on a radio show in Seattle and the guy's like, ask me anything, human lie detector, Janine Driver. I go, did you ever cheat on your wife? He goes, are you asking me if I ever cheated on my wife? I go, we're Ooh, not off that's to a good a, start. Yep, that's bad. We know that's bad. We're not off to a good start. And he's like, what do you mean? And then he starts shoulder shrugging. A shoulder shrug is uncertainty. It, the whole thing was a nightmare. And so I got him to confess live. It's like a radio show, like Kiss 108 FM, like morning <laughs> yeah, radio. Morning zoo, this is yeah. like 20 years ago. Yeah, like a morning zoo thing. And I'm like, he goes, my wife found out. She knows. I've never cheated since. And I'm like, Janine oh, Driver, God. stop asking these questions. You're too and good. And by the way, I'm also talking to myself. I'm talking to myself about myself in the third person a lot today. I don't know what that's about. But this guy, I, I was walked out by whoever. At the end of the interview, someone escorted me out of the building. And he goes, hey, hands down, best interview we ever had, ever. And you'll never be invited back because we all suspected he cheated on his wife because she started coming around randomly. And you just had him admit it to the whole all of Seattle (laughs) on air, something the coworkers wanted to find out about. And I was never invited back. (laughs) Well, Janine, you have a special gift, as as I think anyone who's seen your TED Talks would agree. Um, It's been an absolute honor. If you want to hear more of Janine's stuff, I mean... You can go to her website. I want you to plug that in a second. But you've got two books. You say more than you think, a New York Times bestseller. And then your newest book, You Can't Lie to Me, both on sale wherever you find books. Um, If you're first starting out with Janine, which one would you advise folks to pick up first to intro into you? You say more than you think is more about you. And this exercise is to learn more about you. And if I say if a mirror were to drop down in front of you in your last date or job interview would your body language be congruent? Would it match who you are, who you believe you, yourself to be, or would it be a disconnect? So that's really cool, getting your own baseline to make sure you're setting the best first impression, you're decreasing office drama, because if, especially people are like, you're so aggressive, or you have, you receive feedback that you don't feel is you. You're like, you're not more of a team player. You're like, I am a team player. I'm the one that buys the cakes for birthdays. What are you right. talking about? You know, that that's that book. That's the New York Times bestseller. And the second book is You Can't Lie to Me, which is really like four books in one. It's two, it's it's almost like a textbook, I think. And that book is more about reading others. And that does have a little handwriting analysis in there, statement analysis, um, and then of course body language. And they're both on Audible. 
not read by me, which could be a blessing. <laughs> sure. uh, some people wish I read them because my, my umph. Uh, and they're both on Audible. And one of them, I forget which one, I think you say when you think, has an advanced version, which is really, really cool because that is embedded videos with me teaching. And so I had put some special content and that book's from Random House and you say more than you think and the other one is um, from HarperCollins. And uh, by the way, people can continue to work with me online for free uh, over on YouTube. If you just put in Janine Driver, I used to do a show and I do them once in a while called Celebrity Lie Detector Live, CDL. And they're hours on end. So if you really dig this stuff and you want to know more, you can put in the JonBenet Ramsey case. You could put in Madeline McCann. You could put in Jesse Smollett. You can put in any of these big hot cases. I stay up all night um, when they're fresh off the, you know, in, in the media. I, I get ahead of the game and you could check it out there for free. Many episodes, I post them there. I am on TikTok and on all those social media channels. The bad news is I wish it was all under Janine Driver, but it's on, under different names. I think under TikTok. Do you know, Joe, what my name is under TikTok? I don't have Let's it, see. so no. I think, um, hold on, TikTok right here. I'm here, stand by. Oh, Body Language Institute. So at Body Language Institute, right now I have 57.1 followers. 57 point one thousand followers so yeah. come follow me over on tiktok i've not updated content but i just hired someone to help me do that and starting by the time you're listening to the show here i probably have a ton of new content and keep watching and listening uh i love what you're doing you know my ted talks uh i'm doing another one on we think there's extroverts and introverts but there's four interaction styles and that's what i'm working on now and 85 oh percent of us 85 percent of us are something other than what we think and what we've been told we are and this is a teaser that we think there's extroverts and introverts, right? And, and you've been told you're an extrovert and introvert. But here's the deal. With decision-making, I do a TED Talk on decision-making. And uh, decision-making, it's called five, how five words can get you what you want. There's research, reasoning, and result. And you could be an extrovert here in research, an introvert with reasoning, oh. standing your ground, persisting against difficult odds, weighing pros and cons, prioritizing. And then with executing your decisions, you could be one of these other two categories no one's ever told you about. And so that's why you've never quite felt like you are an extrovert or never quite felt that you're always an introvert because right. you're not. As a matter of fact, we've profiled now thousands of people and we've never had someone that is a flat out introvert in all three areas or a flat out extrovert. And so that's my new TED talk I'm working on that. I don't know when it's going to come out, but. Oh my gosh. Number tuned. five. Stay tuned. Stay we'll tuned. have, to, Stay we'll have tuned. to have you back. Janine, thank you so much for thank coming you, on. I appreciate the time. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much.